0: We pray. Dear Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for uh, speaking your word into our world. Thank you for coming into our world. And thank you for sending your word to us this morning. We ask you also now to send your spirit uh, to work on us through your word. Build us up in our faith today and in our understanding of the incredible amount of love that you have for us. Strengthen us and be with us as we study your word today. We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. Brothers and sisters in faith, uh, can you picture what it would feel like to get mixed up with the wrong crowd? Can you picture what it would feel like to get mixed up with the wrong crowd? So maybe it starts small, like you're hanging out with people that you really shouldn't be hanging out with. And then it escalates to maybe supporting some things that you shouldn't be supporting. And then finally to doing things that you specifically should not be doing. Can you imagine getting mixed up with the wrong crowd? Um, In certain ways it's exciting because of like the thrill of rebellion and then in other ways it's scary because if you get caught doing some of the things that you're doing you know that the consequences are going to be severe. Well, then finally the day comes when you do get caught and uh, you get caught red-handed with no explanations and no excuse. And in that moment, it all comes crashing down on you. Now you feel guilty for the things that you've been doing and supporting. Now you feel ashamed at how your family and friends are going to feel. Um, You know that you fully deserve whatever consequences are coming. Again, can you picture what it would feel like to get mixed up with the wrong crowd and then to get caught? Maybe you don't have to picture too hard because this has actually happened to you in your life. Maybe you're thinking, well, I'm thankful that this is a hypothetical. But really, either way, spiritually speaking, this is a story that we should be familiar with because spiritually speaking, this is all of our story. It is a story of getting mixed up with the wrong crowd, getting swept up in a rebellion, and getting caught. Of course, it's not just our personal story. It's the story of the whole human race. God tells us in the book of Genesis, how when He first made people, when He first made human beings, He made us in His image. That means that at the beginning, human beings had a perfect connection with God. We, We shared His heart of perfect love. But more than that, it's like we were God's representatives. Human beings were God's ambassadors reflecting his light across the world, shining God's light to others. What an amazing job that is to be God's representative, God's ambassador in this world. And yet, in the book of Genesis, God tells us what happened next. Human beings got mixed up with the wrong crowd. Specifically, we got mixed up with a fallen angel named Satan who led human beings into a rebellion against God. And I'm guessing that maybe you're familiar with this story, right? Adam and Eve are in the Garden of Eden, and they're listening to the snake and eating from the forbidden fruit. And I'm guessing that maybe you're also familiar with the results and kind of the inherited results, right? Where ever since the time of Adam and Eve, every single person has been born with a sinful nature. Every single person has been automatically enrolled in this rebellion against God, right? We're born rebels. So we're familiar with these things. But I wonder if you've ever thought of it this way as you're thinking about Adam and Eve in the garden and how now this is our problem. Have you ever thought, how in the world is this fair? Like, I didn't eat any fruit. Adam and Eve were the ones who rebelled against God and broke his command in the garden and brought all of this on us. And and I wasn't there and I didn't have anything to do with it. Why should I be held accountable? for something that somebody else did thousands of years before I was born. You ever think that way? I've thought that way. This doesn't seem fair. But God doesn't hold us accountable for things that other people did thousands of years before we were born. God holds us accountable for what we do. And there is plenty of evidence of our own individual rebellion in our own individual lives. So take a minute this morning and just like do a little self-examination and think about this. What bad influences have you chosen to put around you in your life? And I think of the same for me. What uh, wrong things have you chosen to support? What wrong things have you chosen to do? In what ways have you contributed to the darkness of the world around you? instead of reflecting God's light as his image-bearer the way that he would want you to. And I think of the same things for me. So the details of our different stories are different, of course, but deep down, it's all the same story. We all are rebels. We all have gotten mixed up with the wrong crowd. We have all done wrong things. And then, we've all been caught red-handed by an all-seeing God who never misses a single thing that happens in this world. And so we all deserve the same consequences. And we know what those consequences are. Uh, God tells us in the Bible that long ago he created a place of punishment for rebellious angels. And this is a place where God was going to lock up the rebellious angels and keep them there away from him and away from the world and away from human beings so they can never hurt anybody else again. And Peter writes about that dungeon that place of punishment for evil angels in his second letter he says this god did not spare the angels when they sinned but sent them to hell putting them in chains of darkness to be held for judgment so this is what hell was created for it's a place for rebellious angels but since we've joined the angels the evil angels in their rebellion against god we deserve to share their fate which is condemnation from god That lasts forever so we're not at a real positive point like eight minutes into our sermon this morning but into this situation of of guilt and shame and fear of consequences into the middle of all this comes the opening verse of our sermon text and it says this there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus and based on everything we've just said We're thinking, how could this possibly be, that there's suddenly no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus? Well, the answer comes, really, from the title of our Lent sermon series called Great Exchange. The reason there's no condemnation for us is that there was somebody else who switched places with us. And he went to be condemned so that we in his place could go free. Are you guys sticking with me so far? This metaphor of like a rebellion, getting caught. So in order to more fully understand this, I want to tighten up the metaphor a little bit and get a little bit more specific. We talked about like rebellion in general. Now let's let's give this a specific context. Let's say that God is like a king. That's probably not super hard to imagine, right? Because kings are powerful and they're in charge and God is powerful and he's in charge. He made the world. He's running the world. He's the greatest king that there ever could be. So God is kind of like a king, and now let's say that angels are like nobles.
1: We don't really have this kind
0: of a political arrangement in our country, but you know what nobles are, right? The king is sitting on his throne, and then he has kind of his court that is around him, and the angels are like God's heavenly court. Then let's say that human beings are like regents. And I, like this is not maybe a position that you're real familiar with. A viceroy or a regent, I was looking up different terms, but it would basically be a person who goes and rules a different land on behalf of a king. Right? So this is kind of the role of human beings. You've got God is the king, angels are like his heavenly court, but then there's this other land called earth, you know, and God has sent human beings here to rule in his place, to represent him. And I found a verse in Genesis 1 that just describes this so exactly. God blessed Adam and Eve and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Once again, human beings were created to be God's ambassadors, representing him and reflecting his light across this world that he's put us in. So now we've got kind of these characters in this story, right? And into this context now comes Satan. And Satan is a rebel. He is a traitor working from within the heavenly court. He comes up with a secret plot to assassinate and overthrow the king and take the kingdom for himself. And day by day, he's working behind the scenes, right? This traitor is spreading his influence and the plot is growing. And then one day... He's caught. The plot is uncovered. The treachery is revealed. And because this is a plot that endangered not only the king, but the entire kingdom, the king decrees that the rebels are going to be punished most severely. Everyone who has participated in this assassination plot against the king is going to be exiled away from the kingdom forever. So this probably tightens it up a little bit right this is the bad company that we have fallen in with this is our spiritual situation between human beings and god but what if there is one more character in the story that we haven't talked about yet what if the king has a son and what if that son being in very nature god does not consider equality with god something to be used to his own advantage but rather He makes himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant, being found in human likeness. And what if being found in appearance as a man, he humbles himself yet more by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross? What if the king's own son, the prince of heaven, chooses to exchange himself for the rebels, going into exile himself, so that they in his place might go free? And that's what Jesus did. Do you remember Jesus' words as he hung from the cross? He didn't say a lot of them, but this was one of his sentences. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And that sentence is the voice of an exile in anguish, suffering the king's punishment for his rebellion against God course he didn't rebel against God he's doing this for us and so what are the results now that come back to us since the king's own son has traded himself away for us well this is where our sermon text really picks up this is what Jesus means for us practically in our life first of all there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus I don't know if you like to memorize Bible verses If this is like a thing for you, if you're wired in this way that you like to memorize stuff. I find that less and less people maybe like to memorize things. But if you are a Bible verse memorizer, or even if you're not, this would be a really nice one to put into your memory banks. For next time that you feel guilty for something. Next time that you feel ashamed for something you've done. Because what does God say about the sins that you feel bad about? What does God say about the stuff that you feel guilty about? He doesn't say, well, we're going to work on it. He doesn't say, you know what, just have a good night's sleep, wake up tomorrow, we're going to try again. We'll try again. No, what does God say? There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation for you. At all. And that's because Jesus, God's own son, went into exile already and absorbed every last ounce of God's condemnation in your place. So that's quite encouraging. And yet, there's more. The text continues. Those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves, so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship, And by him we cry, Abba, Father. So you think of that story we told with the kids, where the kid runs away and he comes back thinking he's going to be a slave, and instead he's welcomed and and celebrated and loved. But taking it even a step further, let's talk about this word Abba. For little Hebrew kids, this is the most familiar word that they would use to, to talk to their father. I think for our English translation, it would be daddy, or maybe even like dada, Right? Just an expression of simple trust and confidence and close, close connection. So can you believe this? That you know, this is the king of the universe that we have participated in this plot against, and he's condemned you know, the exiles to hell, and we should have been condemned to hell, and yet, not only has he forgiven us and pardoned us and led us back into the kingdom, he brings us into his family. He brings us to his table. He brings us right to his lap so we could just crawl up and sit in God's lap like a little girl would say to her father and then call him Abba, Daddy. This is how close we now are to this king that we had participated in a plot to overthrow. It's incredible, the change of status, not only from exile to not then just being a servant, but a child, a son. And yet there's still more. If we are children then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs of Christ. As children of the king now, we can be sure that when we enter heaven one day, all the things that belong to the Father are going to belong to us as well. And we can be sure that we're going to share them with our new brother Jesus, because he returned victoriously from his exile when he rose from the dead, right? And he is going to join us, uh, reigning forever with God in heaven. So just, what an incredible story. What an unlikely story. The king's own son goes and exiles himself so that the exiles can come home and not only be home, but be in the king's family, and not only be in his family, but receive his inheritance. Could it possibly get any better than this? And yet, there is still more encouragement in these verses because we're not home yet. Right? Right? I mean, we're excited to be home at some point. We're excited to spend eternity with our Savior in a place of perfect glory. But in order to get there, we have to go through a place of suffering. We have to walk through a planet that is deeply broken by sin. And we have to do it in bodies and minds and hearts that are deeply broken by sin. And so while we do have the status already of being God's eternal children, our present experience feels a little bit different. So Paul goes on to say that, for now, we share in his sufferings so that one day we might get to share also in his glory. You know this as well as I do. Along with the rest of the world, Christians suffer, right? We get sick. We get sad. We get tired of being let down by the people around us. We get tired of letting down the people around us. We get tired of struggling with our stubborn and sinful nature. This side of heaven, life as a Christian is hard. And so Paul has this last thing to say to us this morning. It's an item of deep and powerful encouragement. And here's what he says. I consider that our present sufferings are not even worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. I consider that our present sufferings are not even worth comparing to the glory that's going to be revealed in us. So, kind of to come to an end this morning, I want to ask you to use your imagination one more time. I know we had the story of the father and son, we had the idea of rebelling, we've got the king and the kingdom. I want you to imagine one more situation, and I'll admit that this one is maybe a little risky, but let's try it. I want you to imagine that you're a Yankee. So, what I mean by this is You live up north, like way up in the great frozen white north, where even in mid-March, it's not just cold like it is right now, but in mid-March, the ground is coated with ice and snow. So imagine that you are a Yankee way up north somewhere in some freezing cold place, and you are engaged in an unenviable task, shoveling out your driveway. Scoop after miserable scoop. And The freezing wind is blowing and the ice crystals are blasting into your face and your body is getting sore and tired You can't feel your fingertips. You can't feel your toes. You can't even feel the tip of your nose You're shivering and you're maybe not having your best day shoveling three feet of snow in the frozen white north, but you do know what's coming next Your mom is inside the house cooking up a batch of chili with homemade cornbread And as soon as you finish shoveling, it's about to be dinner time. In fact, here she comes now. She opens up the door, and she calls out, Lucas, five minutes, and it's dinner time. And as she opens that door, the warm blast of air comes out from inside and carrying with it the delicious scent of chili and homemade cornbread. And you even hear, or you think you can hear the crackling of logs because you know there's a bonfire going on in the den inside, right? Right in there where you're going to be eating your chili and then warming up. And then she closes the door because you got five more minutes. But you don't feel quite as cold anymore. And you're shoveling with a little bit more speed and enthusiasm now, because you have been reminded of what is about to be coming. And that is what God does for you when you come to church. That is what God does for you when you read his word. That is what God does for you when you have communion. He gives you a little smell, a little taste, a little hint of what's coming. This eternity of perfect communion, perfect connection, perfect happiness with God and our loved ones. It's a little taste of this world where all of our sin and struggles and troubles and problems and pain are going to be gone forever. Sunday after Sunday, Bible study after Bible study, personal devotion after personal devotion, God reminds us. Our present sufferings are not even worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed in us When we get to heaven and this is how now as we live in this earth god motivates us to work a little bit harder to shovel a little bit faster to embrace the job that he's given us which is to live even now as his ambassadors which is to reflect even now his light across our world and to begin even now carrying out that original role that God gave to human beings, created in his image. So the point is simply this. Hang in there, fellow children of God, fellow heirs of heaven. Hang in there, because we're all in this together. And we know that the best is yet to come. Amen. And now the peace of God which passes all understanding will guard and keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus, your Savior.